Nasal septum deviation is a physical disorder of the nose, involving a displacement of the nasal septum. Some displacement is common, affecting 80% of people, mostly without their knowledge. Septoplasty, or alternatively, submucoseptal resection and septal reconstruction, is a corrective surgical procedure done to straighten the deviated nasal septum. If you weren't already aware, bare sinuses are jacked, so please excuse any additional audio interference. Now, on to the show. My name is Bear, and this is Sawdust Boogie. If you desire to reconcile being an old soul in a new world, stick around. You're welcome here. Today's date is October 21st, 2022. Time, 7.29 p.m. We just finished the ribbon cutting at uh, Palmer Music's new location. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, but... Part of what has happened in the past almost year has been uh, we had to, we got a letter of uh, eviction because they were destroying the block we were on. So uh, that was in April. We moved to the new spot in June, finally got it squared away, had the grand opening. So that's that. I'm going to title this episode, The Baby and the Bull. The Bull, I think most of you guys might know that that's, that's the F-250, the 1984. It's been a year with that truck, almost exactly, maybe a little longer than that now. Uh, and the first part of that title, The Baby. If you don't know already, I'm having my first child. A boy named Dallas Abel Alanis. He's supposed to arrive November 22nd. He's looking a little on the large side, so they may end up inducing labor. This is all new to me, boys and girls. I have no children. My wife has no children. I will be 39 November 10th, just to put things into perspective for y'all. So anyway, uh, basically, I've taken a year off from the podcast, unintentionally, honestly. I mean, I absolutely love doing it. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you've got a million things on your plate, it's just the last thing I'm going to be able to do, unfortunately. And uh, so let's let's that's what we're going to dive into on this podcast. I'm going to I'm going to make a strong effort to keep it under 45 minutes. But here's what I a point I want to make now, so that I don't forget later, which is I had two episodes in the can that I had recorded last year. I think there's useful information in there, and I think you guys enjoy hearing about what's going on with me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this one, 45 minutes. We will see. It might not happen. Let's be honest. 45 minutes of what's going on with me right now, and then I'm going to follow that up pretty quickly for you guys with two episodes that we recorded last year. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It sucks. I get it. But, you know, this is real life. You guys get that. So the good news is I'm in here. I've got the mic fired up. I just cracked my first bush light after a long, stressful week. Uh, let's get into it. Here we go. Bush. Let's get started. First chapter. The bull. I'm not picking the bull over the baby because I care more about the bull. I want you to know I care deeply about both of them. And the bull's already here. So that's what we're going to talk about, okay? When I say bull, if you don't know, let me just go over some quick stats for you boys and girls. 1984 Ford F-250 with the 460 big block C6 transmission, 
four-wheel drive, flatbed dump bed, extended cab pickup. Okay, she's a real beauty. Two-tone, red and white, red interior. My stepdad hates red interior. Well, yeah, I kind of like it. It feels good in there. It feels like a big tomato or something to me. So it's been a journey. It's been a year-long journey. We paid, uh, you know, set amount for the truck, knowing that we were going to spend some money on it. We spent that money, spent a little more. I wouldn't say we're over our heads invested monetarily. Now, sanity-wise, I might be a little overly invested. Um, the wiring on this thing has just been an absolute nightmare. Some of you may recall an earlier episode where I even had the audacity to say, I'm pretty good at wiring. Well, this truck has made me feel like an absolute idiot. So any of you guys that I've wired your guitars, you might, ch- you might check my work at this point. It's not looking good, uh, but this is a little different ball game. Uh, the, you know, don't, don't worry about your guitars. I, I can ace that stuff all day long. Okay. This is, this is, we're talking 12 volt systems here, mainly the starting system and charging system. Um, you know, the little stuff, like it works itself out along the way. Kind of right. Like I, I ended up, uh, replacing the ignition lock cylinder because I thought that was going to fix an issue with the starter. And I had been given to understand along the way that that might fix my turn signals. And it did. So that was cool. I still got one turd signal that acts a little funky and tries to blink when another one's blinking, but that's nobody really looks at them anyway, right? So it's not that big of a deal to me. Uh, you know, the fuel gauge still doesn't work. Well, that's easy. That's I need to stop saying that. That's easy. It's never easy with this truck. Um, I thought it'll be so easy for me to go buy a Bluetooth cassette. Actually, truth be told, let me start this over. I didn't think that that existed. I went to go buy the old school cassette with the cable coming out of it, eighth inch stereo auxiliary on there, plug your phone in and go. And then it hit me in the brain. You're 38 years old, about to be 39 years old. I wonder if somebody younger and more ambitious than yourself and those like you has created a Bluetooth cassette adapter. And sure as crap, there was one at two miles from me at Best Buy for $29.99. Now, nobody in the store knew where it was, and I didn't even, nobody said hello to me. We've talked plenty about customer service in the past. We're not doing that today, but Best Buy, you stink at it, okay? I'm just going to say it. I'm not the only one that thinks that. Half the dudes in there were disgruntled dudes looking for somebody to help them, all right? It's not the employee's fault. It's corporate's fault. You need to be putting more people in there. That's clear. Okay. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be a simple fix. Just pop that baby in, fire up Bluetooth, sync your phone, and next thing you know, you're listening to Phoenix on some old busted speakers, but at least it's good music, right? Well, no, never, never easy with the bull. So I put the tape in and immediately the cassette spits it out. No, I'm not doing that. So, you know, whatever. I just tell it it is doing it because I paid for that. So I put it back in there and it spits it right back out, but it takes a little longer. So I did it again. Spits it back out a little, little longer later. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to let you sit and think about what you've done. I'm going to come back tomorrow morning. I'm going to fire this truck up, which, my goodness, 99.1% of the time this truck starts effortlessly, idles like an absolute dream, sets the choke on the cold mornings. I fire up the heater, turn it onto the first speed on the fan. When I come out 10 minutes later, the windows are defrosted. It's a comfortable temperature in there. I get to sit in my cushiony things. But either way, I get in there the next morning after my 10 minutes of letting it warm up and I pop that tape in and it, it doesn't pop out. And I'm just sitting there 
and it doesn't pop out. And all of a sudden, no, I'm not doing it. So, you know, whatever. I just thought, we're going to keep playing this game. I feel like it might be loosening up. It might be like a like a muscle that you don't use very often. That tends to happen to me. I'll do construction for a year, and then I'm in so much pain because I don't use those muscles anymore. So maybe that's the deal with the tape. Well, at this point, this is probably four days ago I bought this Bluetooth adapter. I can almost get it to play a full song, ladies and gentlemen. This morning, I put Tom Petty, Dan the Torpedoes on, and I was pumped, baby. It sounded so good. Intro track, Refugee, can't beat that track. And it's playing, and I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. And about two minutes in, in fact, I think it was right where there's, uh, no, this is Don't Do Me Like That. There's the drum fill. As soon as my grumpy morning body is in that truck and ready to lay that fill onto my steering wheel no the cassette pops out so nothing simple um i have done some research on cassettes i think it's a simple how do i keep saying simple i i think it's a belt i really do think it's a belt and some lubrication on some key components in there i think i'm going to clean the head i'm looking forward to that project and as i say that I still feel overwhelmed with the amount of projects I have on my plate. I have a punch list for the truck. I'm going to go down it real quick. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think it'll be fun for, for you guys to kind of know where we're at. F2, F250 punch list uh, started uh, yesterday morning at 7.45 a.m. Starting issue number one and number two. Well, that sucks. Starting issue number one, it's not that big of a deal. And honestly, I th- uh, Uncle Phil thinks the timing might be slightly a little too far advanced. Um, of course the distributor's kind of frozen to the intake manifold, so we can't really adjust it yet, but I got some penetrant on that, whatever. Anyway, we're hoping that once we adjust that timing, just, just kick it back a little bit, that that should help with the 0.8% of the time that it just really kind of barely humps over and starts. Once it starts, it starts, but it's a little tough every now and then. Starter issue number two, and this one sucks. Sometimes. When I let go of the starter and put the key back in uh, whatever you would call it, just drive position, um, the starter doesn't disengage. It just keeps on going. So I know what you're thinking. Replace the solenoid. Done it. I know what you're thinking. Maybe your starter's hanging up. Replace it. Done it. Somebody said low voltage on the battery. Replaced it. Uh, Let's see. uh, What else can I name that I have done to fix this problem? Oh, like I said, lock cylinder. Replaced it. Thought I had it fixed. I was pretty pumped about that one, honestly. Uh, because like I said, the turn signals ended up working. So that was pretty tight, but, uh, that didn't fix it at this point. What I've been, what I've, I've been, I posted on the, uh, it's called a uh, bullnose Ford group on Facebook. There's like 12,000 members that, that own this era of truck 80 to 86. I posted on the group last night and had literally probably 50 responses back. And you know, I don't want to get into it. I already deleted a response to one of these guys that just, got on to me for not, I'm not even going to talk about it, but just, if you're going to post something, if you're going to comment on somebody's post, make sure a, that you've read the post and fully understand what they're saying or asking and B make sure you use proper English and proper punctuation and mechanics. I don't even care about the mechanics or the punctuation. Just make it like put a, put a little bit of effort into creating a full sentence. Okay. That's all I'm saying. It's very frustrating when, when you have a situation like I have with this truck, which is 
I never know when it's going to happen. When it happens, I have to literally turn the ignition off, pull the key out, put it in uh, what's well, already in park. That'd be dumb. Try and start it. And don't do that. Get out of the truck, pop the hood, pull the ground off the battery. I mean, it's just like it's the most embarrassing, inconvenient thing to happen to you, right? So I'm already on like stress level nine because of it. I just got home from it happening. And then I see comments like that where somebody's just like, solenoid. That's all they put, solenoid. Well, I've already posted that I replaced the solenoid. Um, and there's been 15 other people that have commented, hey, you should think about replacing your cheap rock auto solenoid with a motorcraft, a genuine Ford part. Now, that makes sense. I understand that. I can dig into that comment and make changes in my life based on that. But if you just say solenoid, then I don't know what to do. That's like when I was replacing the alternator and the guy's just like, 3G. Well, how am I supposed to know that that means third generation alternator conversion? The third generation alternators were offered on 92 to blah, blah, blah trucks. I have no clue, right? So just be a, be an adult about it and be nice and, and, and helpful and think about what you're responding back to. Anyway, that was a rant. I'm sorry. So starter issue number two is driving me nuts. My plan is I'm going to put that motocraft, motocraft solenoid on there. I'm going to replace the main starter wire in case there's any cracks or any issues like that in it. Uh, I've been told to go ahead and add a ground from the solenoid housing on the fender well to the ground on the battery just to give it another a level of security there. So I'm hoping that's it, okay? Number, uh, oh, oh, that's right, yeah. So number one and number two starting issues, we talked about that. Power steering, dare I say it should be a simple fix. I, I just got the hose in yesterday. Of course, nobody stocked it, so I had to order it. Uh, I didn't buy the cheap one. I think I've learned my lesson on that. Uh, so I've got the hose on the or here. I checked it in the parking lot, made sure it was the exact right hose. Um, and I'm hoping in a perfect world that I loosen two nuts, install a hose, put some fluid in and move on with my way, my day. If that happens, I will probably, I'll probably like jump around like a schoolgirl at this point. Uh, let's see. So we did that, uh, speedometer cable speedometer still doesn't work. However, uncle Phil helped me deduce that it was the upper cable. That was bad. If you guys don't know how to test that, check this out. It blew my mind. Uncle Phil asked me for a drill. He pops the end off of the transmission. There's a square drive line running through that speedometer cable. And he put the drill on there and he pulled the trigger. And he said, do you see the speedometer cable moving? And I said, no. And so he said, well, that's weird. And then we found a junction near the firewall. So he popped that one off, put the drill on there, hit the drill, and all of a sudden it's moving. So then we knew that it was the long cable from the transmission to the junction, and we replaced it. I thought that was cool. I don't know why I never realized that was such a, a simple mechanism on an analog speedometer, by the way. I don't know how a digital one works. I'm sure it's way different. Uh, so that's that. Fuel gauge, it's the sending unit. It's fried. I've already had it out when we first bought the truck, when I was trying to figure out why the fuel pump wouldn't work. Uh, this one had an in-tank pump on it at some point. It has been bypassed. I think we've talked about this. I'm going to go over it again for you guys. This truck originally came with a dual tank system. That malfunctioned. Somebody put a second dual tank system in there. I'm assuming that malfunctioned. Somebody then kept the front tank, ditched the back tank, at which point I'm assuming the lift bed was installed because that's where the piston is. And now, uh, not piston, uh, what's it called? Uh, my mind's going blank. Robot, fix it now. Hydraulic cylinder. So now I'm down to the one front 19-gallon tank. 
somebody had put an aftermarket pump on the chassis. Uh, some unknown piece of junk burnt through that, whatever. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now is I'm trying to uh, get all that stuff squared away. So let's just pause. We're going to talk about the fuel system. Here's where I'm at with the fuel system. We attempted to rebuild the, what I figured out was a 30 year old Holly 750 on the truck. I bought probably $75 in parts. It was more than that. The rebuild kit for a carburetor these days is 50 bucks. Um, I had to buy a, uh, the choke was missing. So I wanted to try a manual choke. So I bought that with the manual choke kit. That was like 30 bucks or something. Uh, and then there was a bracket that was broken on the kickdown setup for the automatic transmission. So, um, after like a hundred dollars in parts, we realized it was really too ragged out to be messing with. And so I just told my wife, I said, I didn't plan for this in the budget, but we're going to have to buy a new carburetor. I'm pulling out my hair, um, amongst everything that we're about to talk about with the baby. Uh, but with the truck, you know, I, I feel bad. We've got money tied in this thing. I hate seeing that money sitting there doing nothing. Right. And so, um, anyway, we decided to buy a new carburetor. Well, guess what, boys and girls, this was in the height of the inflation. A 750 was almost a $500 problem. I didn't want to spend that much. Lo and behold, guess what? Holly sells licensed remanufactured carburetors that come back to them on warranty. They rebuild them and then sell them for a very discounted rate. Okay. So I think I paid 250 bucks for a brand new rebuilt from Holly 750. Okay. So that was beautiful. Went to work on that after, and keep in mind, I threw away that junky pump a while back and put the Edelbrock pump on there and keep in mind also that I've had that same style pump on the Chevy love for literally going on seven years and it's never given me one issue. Okay. So let's just say, and again, I may have said this in these podcasts you're going to hear, but after three Edelbrock fuel pumps going bad, I finally decided to spend the money on the Holly red race pump. So again, I have to go to my wife and say, you know what, baby, I wasn't planning on spending 150 bucks on a fuel pump. I know we've already got $60 tied up in one. That's not even a paperweight anymore. And guess what? Inflation has now made that $150 pump a $200 pump, but I did. She agreed. I'm sure I sold some piece of musical gear to offset the cost. And $200 later, I have a beautiful fuel pump. Okay. When I bought that, I had the brand new carburetor. I knew at that point we were already having issues out of the relay system on the fuel, uh, on the fuel system. So I just told uncle Phil, I said, I'm not doing this if we don't put a full fuel system back in it. So I learned how to wire up a fuel circuit with a proper relay. Uncle Phil came over in my deepest, darkest hour and time of need when I needed this truck to happen. And he came over and worked his butt off and helped me with it. And I, I was very little help actually, because I was really trying to finish up construction in the house. And he wired that whole thing up. And I'm telling you, man, that thing, it's unbelievable. It's like the best running thing I've ever owned as far as like vintage or classic. It feels every bit of what you hope a 460 with a 750 carburetor feels like. I mean, it's just, it's like the coolest truck, man. It really is. And that's why, even though there's frustration in my voice, like I love that truck. And I will say that probably 10 more times in this podcast. That truck is me. That dually red and white flatbed truck is as cool as I could ask for and as usable as I could ask for in this season of my life. And so I'm in love with that truck. That's two times. Maybe I might've seen it, said it earlier. So we'll just call it three times. I'm getting parts. Give me a second. So 
at least we can check one thing off the books, which is the fuel system from the tank forward. Okay. Now I was going to put the 38 gallon tank in the back, the Bronco tank. It'll fit back there. You can put a new, uh, uh, sending unit in there, but at this point I don't need to spend the money. I need to drive this truck and get some miles on it and get the money out of it that we've got into it. So what I've decided to do is the sending unit for that 19 gallon tank is only 35 bucks or something. So I'm going to go ahead and buy one. We'll throw it in there. If I get a year out of it, great. It was worth the 35 bucks and then the headache of having to count miles just so you can figure out what's in your tank, right? If, if you've ever played that game, I mean, it's fun when you're just trying to figure out if you're getting better gas mileage, but when you're trying to live off those numbers, it's not, I, I don't like it. So, you know, I'm going to be pumped about that. Uh, no pun intended. I hope that fixes it. I think it will. I mean, it's clearly like when I pulled that sending unit out of that tank the first time, it's nasty. There's corrosion all over it. It's a pretty simple little device. I think I, I, it's similar to like what in my world would be a potentiometer or like a rheostat, which it's kind of just like a, I don't even know what the word is, but it's, it's a cool little device, but it's very simple, right? It's just a different ohm resistance, I think, as that thing lowers and raises in there. Um, so that's that. Um, and then let's see what the, sh the list is getting shorter, ladies and gentlemen, at least for crucial stuff. Okay. Then the only other thing after that is the turn signals, which I think is just really going to boil down to grounds. I've been there with the love, you know, who's really good with finding grounds is John Baxter. Uh, that dude, I had a state of panic one time when I first got the love, took it to him to go, to go hang out with the boys out of Butlerville. And I was living in Cabot at the time, which was 20 minutes away. And I stayed past dark, just assuming, yeah, man, lights are good on this truck. Well, they weren't. I mean, everything was backwards on the taillights. Like, I, I don't even, I can't even remember how bad they were, but we ended up, somehow he talked me into it because I'm so OCD and so scared to do some things that the last thing I wanted John to do was just literally cut the harness at the tail and just start over. But he did, and he's really good with the, with the meter on that stuff. And so we were able to get that squared away. I know we're going to be able to get these turn signals squared away. It's not a huge deal to me. I, I use hand signals. I, I mean, it's kind of fitting for the truck, right? It's this big old... 40 year old flatbed with just, you know, my windows down, just using hand signals. So I, I kind of enjoy it, but uh, I would like to get that fixed. That's the crucial list. Okay. Now we're going to move on to the list. That's just kind of like, if we get it great, if not, we'll get to it at some point. Uh, wipers don't work. I think it's just the motor. Whoever had it before me disconnected the harness. Um, I dare I say it should be a simple thing. It won't be, but it sure would be nice if that $50 motor just popped in there and worked. Uh, but I don't, you know, if it's raining out, I mean, other than this is a good time to stop and go ahead and say this other than this last week, two weeks, and hopefully no much, not much longer than that. Um, my 2020 F-150 is in the shop for hailed repairs. And I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but in April, uh, April, I believe of this year, we had nasty hail in our area. Most of you guys listening to this were probably in that same hail. Well, I've got $10,000 damage on my truck, $10,000 damage on Jessica's RAV4, which I think is a 2019. Uh, we had $4,000, $3,000 in damage on the camper, which we sold another story. We'll talk about it. Maybe springtime, whatever, but the camper's gone, uh, my truck is in the shop right now. It was supposed to take two weeks. USAA, I love you. You're taking a little longer proving the supplemental claim, so let's get on it. 
if you're listening, if anybody here's works up on the ladder at USAA, get this claim rolling. I want my truck back. So they're at a point where all they have to do is repaint the roof, which they didn't think they were going to have to do, but it chipped when they pulled some dents. So they're trying to get approved to spray that. Right now, I am living out of that F-250. I know that's scary to some of you guys, and it's, it's slightly scary to me, but I've put probably 500 miles on that thing in the past two weeks, and it's been awesome other than these weird things, which, you know, like I said, the starter thing, it's not fun. It's not, it's not like a little just jiggle this and move on with your day. It's scary as hell. You know, you think that your $200 battery and $100 starter are in jeopardy. You think that your car could spontaneously combust at any time. I don't like that feeling. I don't like what that starter's causing me, the anxiety anxiety it's causing, because it's an intermittent problem, and it's a big intermittent problem with a lot of voltage attached to it, and that's scary as crap to me. It's really scary. So that is my number one priority right now. Now, I think, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, you know, the love, you don't use the key to start it. You put the key in the start position, but you just push a button. And I think that's the same situation, which is somebody years ago decided to bypass the solenoid because it was giving them fits. The only thing I can't figure out or wrap my head around is if the problem is is not necessarily in the ignition system and it is in the starting system, then is that really fixing it? But But I think from what I'm reading on these comments that it is, so... That may be a fix is just putting a push button to the solenoid for the signal wire. Uh, but right now, Uncle Phil's got me. I just took the the starter wire off of the solenoid, and when I need to start the truck, I just turn the key on and touch the battery, and it fires right up. Pretty ghetto, I'm not going to lie, but whatever. It feels safe to me. At least the power's disconnected from the faulty system, right? So... Man, that's the big one, but uh, back to the smaller stuff. The the lift bed, I figured out how it works after all of uh, like weeding through the ghetto stuff. The last dude bored like a hole in the floorboard to run a power cable through there for a switch. And it's just like, man, that's that's four gauge wire, buddy. That's a big old hole. You couldn't have thought of a different spot to put it. So either way, I figured out what that does. It's just the main power kill switch. It's either momentary or it's on. Once you turn that on with, I've got a super weak battery right now, but once you, once you have a good battery on it and you flip that thing on, um, it, it lifts the bed and then there's a simple up and down lever. Okay. It's only a one way, uh, uh, piston, but uh, hydraulic cylinder. That's the word I'm looking for. So uh, it's only a one-way cylinder, meaning that I don't have any ability to control it going down. I can only let pressure off, right? But it still does go down. And when I first got it, I couldn't figure out how to get it to hold, and now I can get it to hold. So bottom line is there's only one hydraulic line. It's really old. It's really nasty. It's leaking a little bit, but not bad enough that it's driving me nuts. So I need to get a new line made for that. I know it's a $30 line, but... Right now, again, I've spent a lot of money on this truck. I need to get some miles out of it. So uh, the second battery, like I said, that's another one on the list. It's fried right now. It's like it barely carries 8 eight to 10 volts. And so the only way I can use it is to put my dad's trusty Craftsman 225-amp 12-volt battery charger on this thing. And it will get that bed a moving, baby. It really will through that old crusty battery. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm not, it, the bed's not really usable as a lift because I don't, I wouldn't have a good way to do it other than jumping from the good battery, which I'm sure that's fine. I just don't want to do it. Uh, let's see, door latches. Uh, my catches are worn out. I have them in hand. It takes uh, my wife's small hand to get inside the, uh, the, the body 
to hold the the backing nut for me to screw those in. And she's she's a little big right now, boys and girls. So I don't think that she's going to want to crawl in the extended cab of my truck to do that just so it closes a little easier. So I'm just kind of, I'm just slamming it. It's steel. It's good metal. It'll be fine. I've heard it a million times. It is squeaky. Does anybody, can anybody tell me what, what lubricant do I use on those hinges? I tried white lithium grease. The problem is it's disgusting and um, it didn't seem to work. It lasted maybe six months, but that doesn't seem like long enough for that. So door latches, passenger door seals. I've already done the driver door. I've done all the window seals. Um, I've taken the panel off. I've cleaned everything out. I put my new door panel on. It's temporarily mounted right now because I've got, uh, I just got a ship notification from LMI that my door or my armrests are on the way. Um, so the last thing I'm going to do is order a pair of speakers. And then, um, I don't know the exact name for it, but I think it's like a regulator roller. There's a little roller that attaches to your window on a manual crank window. And when that roller, those plastic bearings, a lot of times or, or wheels will give out and it makes it feel like you're lifting a thousand pounds and it shouldn't feel like that. So generally if the regulator's not frozen up, then it's usually those rollers. And so I need to do that. My point is I want to do all that and I want to button that panel up and I don't want to get back in there because if you guys have ever dealt with those door panels, it's those weird clips that they really never go back in the way they came out. You know, once they're used once, they're kind of done. And I'm sure in this modern world, you can just jump on Google and have them at your doorstep in two days. But when I was a kid, it was like, if you lost one, you just, your door panel was flapping around. So I'm trying to get all this stuff done inside those doors so I can just button them up. So the driver's side window stuff's all done. Like I said, door panels on it's, I need to put the speaker in there, fix the regulator, the passenger door. I haven't done any of that stuff. So, uh, the door panels on, it's all cleaned up and stuff, but I haven't done any of the seals and all those seals are shot. So that'll be nice to get that done. It's just kind of comfort stuff. Like the driver one was so bad. I had to do it because that window was just smacking around and wind was leaking through there. Now it's airtight and beautiful, but, uh, I already said it, but speakers, I need to put some speakers in those doors. The driver's side speaker is blown. I'm not the type of dude with this kind of truck that wants to put money into speakers, but I, I'm also a big enough audiophile that I need to have something that doesn't sound like dog poop. So I'm probably going to spend a little bit of money there. I'd like to be in that, you know, 50 to $75 range for a pair of, I think they're six and a halves. They're either five and a quarters or six and a halves. I love JL audio. If I could find JL audio, I'd put that in there. Uh, that's always been a good brand of speakers. Even since I was a kid, that's just my last F one fifty, the 2010, I put JL audio all through that. Uh, they're just, they're great speakers. So if you guys are ever looking for something, JL audio, it's been around a long time now and they're really good stuff. So that's what I'll probably hunt for. Um, Driver window regulator. We talked about that. The hood rain seal, a hood rain seal. I, I enunciated that incorrectly. There's a seal at the top of the firewall, a gasket, if you will, um, that when you close your hood, it kind of keeps that keeps the rain from getting in there. I have the seal. I just haven't taken the time to do it. Also, there's a ground from the hood to the firewall. That's broken too. So I probably need to fix that. Speaking of ground problems. And the last thing on there, and again, I'm not super stressed about it because I know this, this type of motor is not that stressed about this. But even after doing the exhaust manifold gaskets on these cheap aftermarket headers that were on here, they still don't really seal. So it sounds incredible, but it's not the best thing for your motor to, to not have that back pressure. So I need to get that squared away. That's the punch list. I mean, that's everything that matters to me right now on that truck. 
So if I can make that happen over winter or, you know, by the middle of next year, then I'll be, I'll be happy. All the stuff that's crucial. I want to get that done soon because it's only going to get colder. Um, there's nothing worse than, than not being able to drive your classic cars in the winter because of stupid little stuff that it's too cold to fix. So I'm going to try and get that stuff knocked out, man. It's been a heck of a truck. I mean, it really has, it's been a long journey, but I told my wife, I mean, I think the big thing about the bull is that most people's problems are on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's trying to keep something running, keep it reliable. Once it's going down the road, make it smooth driving. All that stuff's done. I mean, it's all done. That motor, man, it's so awesome. Just, it it really, it, it runs and drives so well. Uncle Phil is a carburetor whisperer. I've seen him do it with the love. Uh, which we, I don't know if we talked about this. The love had the sweet little, uh, Weber Redline two barrel aftermarket, like a performance carburetor. He tuned that thing up. Um, I've now seen him do it with a 750. He just understands them. It's just, it was his era. He loves working on them. He hasn't done it in a while. He'll tell that to you, but, but man, he's bad with that stuff. So it's fun to watch him work. We got that thing dialed in right now. So if I can get this 0.8% of the time with the starter squared away, I will have so much stress off my back as far as reliability. And like I said, man, like the embarrassment of being in a parking lot and having to run outside your car and disconnect a battery cable, the fear of a car catching on fire, that stuff, man, that's for the birds. That's, but that's the kind of stuff you're going to get into if you like classic cars. I mean, that's the bottom line. If you don't have the money to pay somebody else to do a full restoration or to take care of these problems, it's just what you're going to deal with. I had so many shops turn me down when I wanted to get the rear main seal done. It was just like insane how many people wouldn't even touch that truck. And then I finally found somebody. And honestly, like I'm not that happy with the work now that I've looked at what they've done, you know, and I don't know if it's their fault that the header, the exhaust manifold still leak, but I know I paid them less than 500 miles ago to do it. And it doesn't seem like it really did anything. You know, I know that they put a water pump on that needed a, some paint sprayed on it. They didn't do that. It's covered in surface rust now. And they didn't replace the heater hoses that should have been replaced when they were right there with the water pump. I mean, it's $10 in hose. So even if you get somebody to work on it, you're not going to get what you need out of it. And it's very unlikely that they would even be able to find a problem like I'm having right now. I mean, it's just, it's like a ghost in the machine. So it's a very difficult deal, but you know, it's, it's the joy of it, but man, it's stressful right now combined with the baby. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Hey, before I get about it, I do need to teach you guys uh, one thing about wiring. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I was upgrading my alternator wiring, um, I, I went, obviously I knew that I wanted to get a very large uh, power wire for my batteries. So I knew I wanted to upgrade to two gauge battery wire. Okay. Uh, there's an important thing you need to know about wiring that you may not And there is a big difference between what's called CCA or copper clad aluminum and pure copper wire. Okay. So if you've ever done any residential work, like electrical, you'll see that some of the line that you can buy, like especially larger power wire to send up, for instance, this studio right, right here, this is, this has a 60 amp panel just for the studio that's fed by a a large wire coming from my main panel, right? Well, you can buy that wire in aluminum wire. 
or you can buy it in copper. Copper is obviously more expensive, but you can run a smaller wire than the aluminum. The aluminum is cheaper. You have to run a larger wire. Kind of depends on your application, right? I was able to throw this in the ground in some conduit. Aluminum was fine for me. I saved the money and bought the giant stuff, okay? But in the world of uh, vehicles, you're going to see both of those things available. Copper clad aluminum, CCA is what you're going to see on the cable or pure copper. The big difference, copper clad aluminum is copper coated aluminum stranded wire. Pure copper is just what it sounds like. It's pure copper stranded wire. When you are dealing with things like alternators and large voltage items in your truck, okay, you need to run pure copper wire. You're going to see a lot of CCA out there, because it's used in automotive stereo applications, okay, for power amps and things like that. But even those guys, I would assume, would probably prefer to spend the money on the good pure copper, not copper-clad aluminum. So quick lesson for you when you're out there buying that stuff, make sure to check. If somebody gives you something and you're not sure, it's on the jacket. If you look on the jacket, it's going to tell you the gauge of the wire. It's going to have like a couple letters, and that's going to tell you what it's actually able to be used for, like whether it's interior rated or exterior rated or whether it can be near such and such. Like that stuff's all on there, and then it will say CCA or whatever the material is it's going to tell you. So if it doesn't, you probably don't want to mess with it. Just throw it in the trash and move on with your life. But check that stuff out. Pay attention. It's real easy. But, man, you can make a mistake. And, I, I, you know, I don't know what the, what the results would actually be of using. A, a, well, you'd, you'd have uh, less resistance in the cave. Don't do it. You want pure copper. That's my point. Okay. On to the baby. I'm pumped about it. Um, I'll tell you, basically, this is what went down. Uh, Like I said, I'll be 39 in November. At the beginning of this year, maybe the tail end of last year, uh, Jessica and I, we kind of thought, you know, maybe maybe we could try for a kid. And so uh, at the same time, we had to make some changes in the repair shop at work. I know what you're thinking. That's a weird... uh, weird transition there, but basically we couldn't find anybody reliable for the shop. Whoever we had at the time decided to leave. Uh, they just couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't hang and that's okay. I don't fault them. All those dudes that go through there, they're great dudes. They just, they think they're more in love with that business than they are when they really have to get their hands dirty. And that is a fast paced shop. So basically with nobody to take care of the customer base that we had built, I still had to find a way to take care of them. And so that's when I told the guys, maybe I should take the bigger repairs home so as not to block up the shop with the smaller money-making stuff. Well, that plan failed, by the way. I mean, it's just, we're hanging in there, but it's it's just too hard to say no. And it's also too hard to find personal time to do that stuff. So I'm not saying it's done, but basically my, my point is, is that because of that, I knew that I needed to isolate a part of my shop and keep the sawdust off the gear. And so there was a 10, 12 by 20 section of the full 40 foot by 12 section that I was going to partition off, insulate, put a real nice interior and keep my nice stuff in there. Keep my tools in there. No power tools that cause dust or say, or, or uh, chips or any of that. And uh, I was really looking forward to it. And so I put the first wall up. It was uh, the 20-foot wall. Um, So 
I put that up, and, and as I do sometimes at the end of a weekend, I was sitting out there drinking beer and just and just admiring my work and appreciating the fact that I was able to kind of just jump on it and get it done. And so then I realized, well, I'm only really a couple walls away from having uh, – we had already talked about a small pantry addition, but this would be a real pantry and and a dining room and, and a spare bedroom for our guests instead of – making them sleep on the couch or in what we, we have a, like a storage room, but you don't, it, you don't want to sleep out there. So anyway, she was into it. So we, I drew the plans up and then we started building that. Okay. That was, um, I think I started, I would say that portion of it, I probably started in January. I think I did some shoring up of some beams and such in late December in preparation for the fact that I was going to cover that stuff up and not be able to work on it again. Uh, but I think I put those walls up in January. Well, right around that time, like I said, we had the conversation about the kid come March, I believe, uh, it, she said she was pregnant. And so I was just like, dang, that happened fast. You know, what's up your boy? 39, almost keeping it real. Uh, so it happened fast, man. And so now that spare bedroom became a baby room. And now the priority became real because, now there's a date attached to it. And I know everybody's going to say, your kid's not going to sleep out there for whatever length of time. Yeah, but man, I want to enjoy this dude when he gets here. And I don't want to be building crap. Like, unless I want to, you know, I don't want to have to go out and hang drywall. That's not, it's not fun. You don't, you don't get home at the end of an eight hour workday and say, man, I cannot wait to sling some drywall boys. Nobody says that. Nobody, nobody says, I can't wait to get home and throw down some self-leveling concrete. It's just not fun. It's, it stinks. It's not the fun part of the job. And to be honest, as somebody who prefers fine woodworking, man, that uh, carpentry gets old quick to me. I don't like it. It, it, it starts to wear on me. And, and I've talked about this before with, with some people about when I did the whole place was like, you know, you have to think so many steps ahead to do anything that the brain gets more overwhelmed than the body a lot of times for me. And so, you know, now we have a deadline attached to this thing because I want to have a full open brain and heart to give this boy when he gets here and not have anything on my plate that doesn't need to be there. So I've been busting my butt, man. And it's been all, it's been cool. You know, I'm getting better at this, this construction stuff. My walls get better every time, you know, uh, the layout's really nice. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy that we've gotten to this point. It's been, it's been a lot, you know? Um, so I was figured I'd talk about a couple of the things that, that have been happening construction wise. And so one of them that that's very frustrating to me and, and I'm sure it's, I guess you get better. Like I said, over time, if this is what you do on a day-to-day basis, but no matter how much effort I put into making sure that my walls were uh, straight and plumb and true, at the end of the day, when drywall's up and mudded, and I'm going to hang trim, my favorite part of fine or carpentry, um, nothing's square anymore, and it, and it doesn't. It's not fun anymore. Now that ninety degree angle is a ninety two degree angle, um, or that forty five is now a forty seven or a forty four, and man, that gets that gets very frustrating. Um, you put a lot of effort or at least I did into selecting the right materials for the job, pre-painting everything, making sure it was all nice, true, straight lumber. And then you start hanging and you realize your wall bubbles out a quarter of an inch for 18 inches. And it's just, that stuff's very frustrating to me. Um, and thank goodness for caulking and paint, but 
you know, I think the big thing for me is I just lose my steam and I, and I lose my, um, I would say I was over it two weeks ago and now I'm, I'm just hanging on for the ride, trying to finish it. But luckily, you know, John Baxter, best friend said it a million times. I'll say it a million times. I love that guy. He's my best friend. Uh, I called him. I said, dude, I'm about to lose it. I need you to come out here. He came out, came out on a Friday night and where I was ready to say, man, I'm going to, I'm going to cry in my beer with John tonight. He said, man, let's get in there. Let's clean the floor. Let's get everything moved out. And we ended up laying, I don't know, 15, 20 pieces of flooring, the tough stuff, getting, getting the run started. And, uh, I was just so thankful for him. He got up the next morning before I did swept the whole dang floor after I had to grind on my poor attempt at self-leveling concrete. When I go talk about it, we'll talk about it a little bit at some point, maybe when I'm over it a little more anyway, bottom line is if you do a bad a job as me, you're going to have to get in there with a grinder. And so I had to grind stuff Friday night. And, uh, that makes a lot of dust, man. Concrete dust is disgusting. It's about as disgusting as drywall dust. So he was up and at him sweeping the floor. We took the F-250 into town, bought a mop, came back. Um, I don't Yeah. We bought a cheap mop, came back, uh, mopped the floor, let it dry. And then we went to town, man. But by the end of that weekend, he left Saturday night. I said, man, I'm going to have this done by Sunday night. I'm just going to do it. And so I spent all Sunday finishing out the trim in the uh, kids' room and the pantry and the dining room. And then my brother and sister-in-law came over, picked up the caulking gun and the paintbrush. And man, I was so thankful for friends and family because I'm, I'm like I said, I'm just about to lose it on this construction stuff. It's something I used to love. And now because I end up putting these deadlines on myself, uh, whether by accident or or whatever, it just wears me down. And I don't like to see projects unfinished anyway. And that brings up another like tough part for me right now. Um, and I hope this podcast is not coming across as depressing because it's not like, these are great problems to have. I have a, I have an extra truck that's, we've, we've put a lot of joy and time into and it's given me fits. I have a beautiful baby boy on the way that's going to be big and chunky and hairy and, uh, and I'm having to spend this season of my life building them a room. It's no big deal, but I just kind of, uh, you know, you, you get to the point like in this house, we have a small footprint. And so we're at a point or we were, we're not anymore. Thank goodness it's finished where you move one thing just to do another. And then that thing is in your way when you go to do another task. And then the next day you go to do something and you got to move 10 things. And then you get to the point for me, and this is just my personality, I know, but there's no place of solitude in my home anymore. The studio, I would come out here, it was full to the brim with stuff we moved out of the last location at the shop. Um, You go in the house, the spare bedroom is packed to the gills, uh, or the storage room, which happens to be my temporary closet, packed to the gills with construction materials and and baby stuff and baby stuff spewing out of the living room. And if I sit on my front porch, I see broken down trucks and golf carts. And that's just not me. I don't like seeing that stuff. And so it puts me into a slight state of depression. I've been in deep states of depression. This is not that. It's not that. I'm very in love with what's going on with my life right now, but it does get slightly overwhelming. So, you know, that we, we got it done though. 
It's a beautiful room. We chose to do beadboard in the living room because of the crazy cost of materials right now. Not right now, but keep in mind, this project started in January. In the middle of last year, that was when a, a sheet of OSB was $60. That was when anything cool to put on your walls other than drywall was going to cost you money. I hate, I don't hate the look of drywall. I like it. I hate the work behind like the mudding and, and, and all that stuff. Um, I'm not good at it and it's a dirty, dirty job, but also the thing about my house. And this is, this is like the fun part to me is that my living room area is a very distinct look. It's rough cut pine hung horizontally. There's no shiplap. There's no half lap. There's nothing. Okay. It's just hung up there, rough cut. And it's been aging for six or seven years. So it looks very cool. Well, all the trim in there is shellacked cedar, not rough cut, refined trim. So while it's craftsman style trim, it still looks very nice. So it, the room to me gives a nice feel because you have the rough walls with the clean trim and you have the beautiful uh, like grayish hardwood floor look, right? So it's cool. The trick is when you go to do new construction, I don't necessarily want my whole house to be rough cut pine, which is the whole reason that as soon as you enter the stairway to the master suite, you then get to true shiplap tongue and groove pine painted white with our our gray with white trim. And so it transitions, but every move I make in that house, I have to think about that living room because that dictates the look of the house. So that's why I decided to go with the bead board in the living room or the dining room pantry area. It was kind of fitting of like a pioneerish, you know, early 1900 style home to me. That was pretty common to me. And so the cedar trim is what I chose to use over the bead board, which again, ties into the living room. So you, you kind of worry about it when you have to picture it. Like I said, working 10 steps ahead is very tough for me. And I would not, I would not say I'm an interior designer by any stretch of the imagination. So all these decisions, you don't really, you just kind of hang on for the ride until you get there. But as I stood back there at the end of Sunday and looked into that beautiful area, man, that parchment white paint pops. The lights we picked are beautiful. There's no threshold on the floor. It just goes seamlessly from living room to dining room to pantry to children's room. We bought beautiful craftsman style doors for anything that mattered in the house. We opened up a huge entryway. It's like a 10 by 10 entryway into this new dining room. And so for the feel of my house, which was before like a shotgun style house, 12 by 20 on the bottom or 12 by 40 on the bottom floor now opens up another 16 feet deep. That adds a huge level of dimensionality to it. Right? So it's a beautiful thing, man. Like it, it all looks so good. Uh, by the way, if anybody's curious what I think the perfect angle for the uh, top piece of trim in a craftsman style home is, I think it's 18 degrees. 20 is too much, 15 is too little. 18 is where I like to be. Try it out. I think you'll like it. But that's what I did. Just a simple 18 degree bevel on either end. I hung it over three quarters of an inch on the bottom side. Everything is very simple but it's done well. And I'm very proud of it. The drywall does look good. I mean, I get why it can't be perfect. It's mud that you slop on in layers and you can only get it so perfect after that, right? It might look perfect when there's paint on it at an angle, but when you do things like me with a, I'm a nerd, I'll, I'll put a light down the side of a wall. Don't ever do that to yourself, folks. Don't ever put a, an led floodlight on the side of a wall, you will see every flaw in that wall. You'll hate it. So 
As hard as I judge myself, it turned out great. It really did. We also, uh, because I knew it had to be done with the addition of the kids' room, we pushed our kitchen out. Uh, I've got a, my kitchen's like a shotgun style kitchen too. So, or a, they call it a galley kitchen. So it was just a one-sided galley kitchen, 12 feet long. And then on the other side, the fridge was buried into the wall. Well, that left uh, basically nine feet on that right side that I could push back and add another side to the galley. So that's what we went ahead and decided to do. It gave me more counter space. I bought a brand new oven. Um, I've been working on a, a 24 inch apartment stove that I bought for $75. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I know that stove and I cook like a madman on it, but the oven was 50 degrees hotter than it read. You had very small burners, uh, you had no clock, you had no timer, you had no nothing. It was very bare bones and I cook a lot. So for me getting a new oven, which I was going to go gas, I decided I couldn't stand the headache of doing all the piping and everything for that. So I did go electric, but I went with a double oven electric range with five burners and a warmer. I mean, it's a bad dude. Here's the other thing I did when I first moved in here, you got to remember that galley kitchen was in my mind as a single man going to turn into a parts washing station and my real home was going to be upstairs. That was always the plan. Okay. Then along comes Jessica plans change. I fall in love. I decide to build her the master suite of our dreams upstairs. And we kept the galley because I was good at it. I'd, I'd had it for years and I knew how to cook in there. And I said, I really didn't mind it. But when we added that nine feet of counter space, we also decided to switch the stove over to that wall. Uh, by the way, double oven, boys and girls, you ain't going to get away with that on, uh, what is it? I think it's 30 amps on a, on a single oven. That's, uh, I believe it's a 40 or a 50 amp circuit to run a double oven. Why am I telling you this? Because at the height of the wire prices, I went and, and dumbly bought 8.3. I believe it was 8.3. Because 8.3 can handle 30 amps. Or maybe it was 10.3. Well, it was 10.3. I bought 10.3. I bought like 75 feet of it or whatever I needed. It was a lot of money for me. And uh, quickly, I was reading the install manual. Yeah, your boy reads manuals. And it said, because of the double oven, it needed to be the 40 or 50 amps. I can't remember. So I had to basically just lay that wire to the side and go spend even more money on 8.3. And that's what's powering that baby up. But while I was there, I decided... This is my opportunity to properly vent my vent hood outside because the temporary kitchen, like I said, it was just one of those charcoal filters, which no offense if you got one of those, but if you cook as much as I do, they don't work. You're cracking windows. You're doing anything you can when you got to sear a steak or something like that. So I properly vented my vent hood. It was a learning experience, but I enjoyed the heck out of that, man. That was so fun. And I wasn't even scared to blast a hole in my siding. And that was a trip. I mean, it used to be anyway, but this time I was kind of proud of myself that not only was I not afraid to, but I also was able to place that hole perfectly between the ribs. And that was, that was sweet, man. So I was pumped about that. And that thing works incredible. I swear the other day, Jessica had something in the oven and I was driving down the driveway and I smelled it because that thing was pushing it out of the house so much. So for somebody like me, man, that was a worthwhile effort. Still got to build a pot rack. Still got to stain my cabinets. Still got to build a fridge surround. Still got to build some cabinets for above the fridge. I mean, there's a million little things. I still got to build a spice rack. There's so many things that I still have to do 
But at least that's fun stuff to me. Like I can stain some cabinets over a weekend. I can build a pot rack. That's fun. The big stuff's done. And that was the battle. There's still a couple sticks of trim that got to go up, but I'll figure it out, man. It ain't no big thing. So anyway, little Dallas, man, he's going to be on his way. Dallas after my grandpa, Dallas Russum. Uh, you guys have probably heard me talk about him. Huge influence on my life. Um, we'll talk about it on another podcast, but it hit me how short some things are in your childhood, but are so lasting in your adulthood. If you really think about it in the grand scheme of things, Dallas and I really only bonded when I moved to Arkansas and I believe I was 12 and he passed away when I was 18. So let's just call it. And there was a couple years there where my girlfriend was more important than everything else in my life. So let's just say I got five good years, five good summers with Dallas. That's it. And that dude has left such a lasting impression on me. Something you might think about when you're out uh, doing your day to days, handling people and, and interacting. People remember things, man. I'll never forget Dallas. I, I've known since I was since he passed away. Before I even knew I had a, wanted a kid, I said if I ever have a kid, boy or girl, it will be Dallas. And here we are, almost twenty years later, and we're having a boy, and his name's Dallas. Middle name Abel. Jessica's maiden name is Abel's. Obviously, Abel. We hope that goes along with uh, you know what we like to do around here. We're able-bodied men, and we work hard, and we learn, and and we grow. And I want him to be able to do that. So, I'm super excited, man. Uh, everybody wants to scare you. I get it. I know I'm going to lose more sleep than I've probably ever lost in my life. It. Everybody is also quick to tell you that it's worth every minute of it. So, I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, the other thing, a lot of you guys, you had your kids way younger than me. I've had 30, almost 39 years to spoil myself, buy myself what I wanted, do what I wanted, spend my time the way that I wanted. I adjusted to marriage three years ago. We learned how to work together and do what we wanted and spend each other's time together. And now I'm going to do the same thing for this little dude because I'm excited about it and I want to bring him into the world. And that's, and I, I hear you guys talk. I see you with your kids. I'm not blind. I know what's about to happen. I'm about to bond heavy with this dude. And all I can hope is that he doesn't want to borrow the keys to the F-250 too much because I'm probably going to be paying for his gas and that sucker drinks it. She'll pass everything but a gas station, all right? And on that note, we're going to call it for the night. I was going to introduce my new segment, Things That Stink, but I think we're going to hold on to it till the next podcast. I hope you guys jump back on the train. I love you. Stay well. If you're down in the dumps, man, shoot me an email. I'll pick you up. I bet I've been there. If you want to send me an email, pick me up a little bit. I wouldn't mind it. I could use some words of encouragement. I could use some prayer. If any of you guys want to give me a hand, man, I, I never ask. I, I'll never ask for the help because I just, I'm not that guy. But if you, if you got some free time and you think, man, I, I'd like to work on Bear's truck. I'd like to go cut some trees down. Man, you, you, you hit me up. We'll do it. No pressure. I love doing it. I love doing it with people I love. Over and out. You guys enjoy your time. We will talk soon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Send an email to sawdustboogieteam at gmail.com. And remember, if you want to pick a boogie, might as well be this one. Bye.